Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of How to Widow with Travis Walker. Today's episode is all about switching industries. So you're making a career move, but it's not in the same industry that you're currently in. I brought on my sister-in-law, a good friend of mine, and also someone who has done this. She has switched industries this year, and so this is a really good opportunity for us to learn about how to make a career move that is not exactly in the same industry that you're in. So I'm really excited to learn about this. I know you are as well, so let's just go ahead and get into the show. But first, make sure that you are sharing this content with everyone that needs to hear this content. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get into the show and learn how to adult. All right, Madison, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm splendid. I'm splendid. And I'm really excited because I think that we have a lot to learn from you because you've done what we're talking about today. You've done it. You have, uh, you've switched industries successfully and you are out here succeeding. But before we get even get in there, we've got to tell the audience who the heck you even are. And so I want to know, <laughs> I want to know who you are. Uh, I want to know how old you are. Uh, what part of the world do you live in and what do you do for work now? Sure. So my name is Madison Williams. I am Travis's sister-in-law. <laughs> I used to be a kindergarten teacher. I am from the U.S. in Texas, specifically Austin, if you want to get real specific about it. Yeah. And um, I think I'm missing a question here. How old am I? 29. I'm 29. 29. And, and what do you do for work now? I am an HR manager at a medical company. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Well, that is all good to know because today's episode is all about switching industries, right? A lot of people throughout their career, they switch industries. They try new things or they have to switch industries for, for whatever reason, right? Uh, and so I want to know, where does your journey in switching industries begin? Where, where does the story start? Sure. So I started teaching... Um in like 2018, 2017. And I decided it was the most amazing thing on the planet. I loved it. The kids were great. Administration can be great. Everything was wonderful. And the things that you do as a teacher, you support learners and you help build the future. Yeah. (laughs) That's what the teachers have the power to do. Um, I moved to a different school in Round Rock ISD. And I realized that I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) It was not enough resources, not enough support. As much as I love the kids, it wasn't it wasn't good for me. Yeah. And in doing that, I wasn't good for the kids anymore. Sure. So I realized in November of 2020, when all of the crazy COVID things were going on, that I wanted to leave teaching. So I put in my notice. I quit in January 2021. And I started working in human resources in March of 2021. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Well, that, I, I love the cliff notes of this story. Yeah. You mentioned that y- y- your heart almost fell out of it. Can you get a little bit more specific on what what should we be looking out for in terms sure. of our mindset and in terms of our, like, I, I guess, emotional uh, well-being? What should we be looking out for if we're like, I don't know if I'm in the right place right now? Yeah, I would do a lot of self-reflecting. Um, If you're life is struggling outside of work, if there's not a good work-life balance, if you're finding yourself spending less and less time with those you care about and only having people that you're talking to at work about work things, 
that's not a great balance. You can try to fix the balance, but if it gets overwhelming, that's a sign. Um, as a psychology major, one of the things I'll tell you is there's a phenomenon. It is called the hospital fantasy. Yeah. If you are going to work or you are going somewhere for work-related purposes and you're imagining an accident that would put you in a hospital so you don't have to go, that is a big red flag. <laughs> yes. They, um, it's called the hospital fantasy. And a lot of people actually have it. I think they did a study, New York Times put it out a couple of years ago that somewhat like 58% of people have hospital fantasies for jobs. Wow. And that's a lot. And that means that you're in a very healthy and unhealthy, unhealthy environment. And that's something to look forward to. Um, right. Something else to look for would just be your heart's not in it. And that's a really big one, but it's hard to gauge. If you feel like you're slipping away slowly, that the, what you had, the passion you had for it is just kind of ceasing to exist anymore. That's a sign. Yeah. Have you seen any other signs? Maybe you didn't experience in, in your journey, but have you seen any other signs that we can look out for? Like, hey, this is this. I may need to look for a different opportunity in a whole different industry because this industry is just not working for me. Sure. Um, if you feel like they're not supporting your growth, that's mm. a big one. Um, a lot of people leave positions because they don't have a growth plan. They don't know where they're going. They don't know. Am I just going to be stuck here for ten years in this exact same position with? no opportunities to advance or help others or do anything different. Um, so I feel like teachers especially get really hit hard with that because there's only so much growth that you can have in that oh, yeah. profession. Um, so usually growth plans are a big reason people leave. I, I completely buy that, right? I see a lot of people that, that we work around and or I work around still, and I'm sure you saw the same thing while you were still in the field itself, where people you, people just don't know where to go, right? Yeah. They, they don't know what to do. And, and you have to, in education specifically, you have to spend money to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to make more money, yeah. which doesn't make any sense. But yes. Um, so <laughs> along with that, I start, I rolled in a uh, principal certification program to get my master's and do that prior to leaving um, because I wanted the growth opportunity. But that's something that I would have had to have done to obtain that growth. Right, right. Which So there's like a huge barrier of entry just to, to, to move up, which is a very interesting, uh, very interesting thing. I, I'm not sure. Does any, uh, may, maybe I'm ignorant to this. Is there other industries that are like this where, where the, where your growth, it has a huge barrier, of in, barrier to entry being, you have to spend a ton of money to, to move up and, and, and succeed? There are some, but not nearly as bad as teaching. So with teaching, you really are a teacher and then you can become an instructional coach, but that takes mastery level, you know, years of experience, uh, probably your certification as a principal or at least a certified coach. Right. Um, And then you see it in things like accounting. Like if you have your CPA, you're more likely to be a controller, but that doesn't mean that you can't be a controller without one. Right. You just have to find the right opportunity. So there are other fields that do that, but I don't feel like any of them are as stringent as teaching. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, I wasn't planning on going down this rabbit hole, rabbit hole but I think it's really interesting, right? Uh, of what, what else is going on in the world. So I also want to talk about just how, and this is obviously just your opinion, how bad do things have to get in a workplace for people to not just be complacent in their job, but actually take action and, and do that job search and switch that industry or look for a different career? How bad do you think things have to get? I think that it depends on the person. Right. Because everyone can take different levels 
of stress and just external factors impacting their life. Um, so it really depends on the person, but I would say everybody's motivated by something different. Right. Um, somebody might just be tired of the toxic environment or the pay structure. They might think that it's not enough because they can't live off of it. Some people just want that growth plan. Um, so everybody has something that pushes them and there's generally more than one thing that breaks that back. Right. And it's generally a combination of things. Um, I see it most often now outside of teaching being growth plans and compensation. Right. Those are probably some of the biggest factors. Also just knowing where they're going to be in five years, no one goes out of their way to tell them, okay, so you're going to start here at the administrative assistant role. And then you're going to move here into like a billing role. And then you're going to, no one takes the time to explain that. And I feel like that's a really big reason why people leave because they don't know where they're going to be or have any structure or understanding of how they could grow in this role. Yeah. And as people who work for other people, mm -hmm. right, we don't have control over that. We don't have yeah. control over where we're going to be in five years. So the people who are in control mm -hmm. should be pretty uh, uh, transparent in, in where they are, where they think you'll be in, in five years, mm -hmm. uh, you know, depending on your, your work and, and how well you do. But I, I think that that's a really interesting point that I didn't really think of. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a combination of that and also your mental stability. I mean, everybody's mental health can be impacted by anything, as we saw in COVID, you know, staying at home really impacted a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, and we're seeing it now in the field as well. I mean, we see it in kids that we were teaching too. They're oh, yeah. changing with the times as well. Um, your mental health gets impacted by a lot of things and being unhappy in a position and having it just weigh on you, that certainly doesn't help. Yeah, and in, in, in your story, you didn't mention this, but I'm going to mention it. You, or I guess you did mention it, but you quit your job without having another job mm -hmm. lined up. How nerve-wracking is that? How do you mentally, like, approach, like, I'm going to leave for myself, which is amazing, but also I have nothing lined up, so I'm nervous about it. I think... I was absolutely nervous and I'm not going to lie and say that I wasn't, that's not, um, that's not helpful for anyone. I was very nervous. Um, I thought about exactly how long I had to find a position based on the money that I had in savings. And <laughs> I really had to think about how quickly that turnaround was, but I also knew that if I ever wanted to go back in the teaching field, if I ever felt like I wanted to do that later, the only way I could do that was leaving on a break. Yeah. So I had no choice but to do that. Right. Um, just to leave that course open, just if I ever wanted to go back, or maybe if I just wanted to be a sub for a while or something, like I have to leave those bridges unburned <laughs> to the best of my ability. Sure. Um, so I had no choice but to leave on a break, but it was nerve wracking. I sat there and I read every article you could possibly find about switching careers and try to figure out what I want to do. I think the first step is to realize that you have a lot of strengths and you have a lot of transferable skills regardless. Um, teachers don't seem to think that they have transferable skills, but you do. You actually have a lot. And a lot of them relate to HR. Not all of them, of course, but a lot of them relate to HR and just helping other people, even training and things of that nature. 
Oh yeah. Oh, you just you just said so much. Uh, it's it's that's so good. And so first, you mentioned uh, like reading every article that's out there. And so I, I want to use you as a wealth of knowledge. What are some of the like key things that when you're in your research of I need to switch careers, but I don't know how to do it. What were some of the key things that you learned from those articles that that either put you in the right direction or just boosted your confidence in in this job search that you're doing? Yeah. So. I started with self-reflection. That was one of the ones everyone talked about. It said, figure out what your strengths are, figure out what your passion is, which is very hard. Don't make that one statement is a lot. Don't let it overwhelm you. Um, But reflect on what you know, reflect on your why, your passion, figure out what it is you like to do. For me, I knew that I loved helping kids grow and that translated into helping people grow, which led me to human resources Right, because that's my job. Um, so now instead of doing it for small children, I just do it for adults. <laughs> so and some of them act like small children, right? So that's good. <laughs> I don't want to say yes, but I'm, I'm going to just like, please. Well, the not the people here. that you work with, just people yeah, out there people. in the world. Other people, other people that other are unrelated people. to my work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but self-reflection, finding your strengths, understanding your passion. And that takes a lot of time. It took me a full month to think, do I want to go back into teaching, but maybe just like private school teaching? Is it just the school that I was at? Should I try again? Um, it's hard to make a change. It's not easy. Yeah. And so I sat there for a long time and I thought my passion, when you get down to the roots of it was helping people. So what can I do in a other field where I get to help people? And being somebody who's afraid of needles and blood, it's not going to be in the medical field myself. Um, <laughs> right. It's going to be somewhere in an office doing human resources. Um, another thing would be to revamp your resume. Um, we have a tendency to say things in the teaching field, especially to just say managed classroom of this many kids. No, you were a project manager in that classroom. You right. were a curriculum development specialist in that classroom. You did so many things that you didn't realize you were doing. So you can't just minimize it and say down to, I had a classroom full of this many kids and I followed IEPs the way I was supposed to. Like (laughs) there's a certain way to word it and everything can be worded in a different way. Um, I had this girl who wanted to come apply to work at our company and she asked me what was wrong with her resume. And I walked her through it and I said, you're a barista and you just told me you memorized a menu. Don't tell me that. Tell me you kept up with seasonal menus and you memorize all the ingredients so we can best serve your customers. Right. There's a way to finesse it, to make it sound a little bit deeper because when somebody's reading your resume, they don't know about you. You're just a piece of paper at that point. Right. So you have to take those extra steps to make sure your resume really sparkles. Wow. Uh, that that's really good. I think that there's there's a few things there. I want to focus on transferable skills for a mo- for a sure. moment. I I agree with you. I think teachers are terrible at this, especially because I think that just in general, our industry devalues. I mean, we devalue teachers in in general, but I think that also we devalue the skills that they they have, even though they have college degrees and, and work for a really long time. Um, but how do we how do we approach? transferable skills how do we look at you know i'm in a classroom with kids and transfer that to uh, a corporate skill that that is super valuable to to some corporate company that that somebody might be considering out there sure so everyone likes to say that they're great at time management but how so when you say that you're good at time management tell them how you're good at time management you had x amount of hours to complete 
all of these things. You were in the equity and inclusion committee. You did PTA, your coaching, you're doing all of your, you know, PLCs, your planning. You did all of that and you managed to fit it in without taking it home. That's time management. You tell them that you are balancing all of these things while still doing something else. You prove that point because saying time management, everyone puts that on a resume. How can you make it clear that you actually can? You tell them everything that you do and how you manage to do it in that time. When you talk about curriculum development, you don't just tell them you printed out something that you found online. You <laughs> figure out, you looked at your teaks, you analyze the data, you figured out what would be the best way to get your kids to learn from it. And you brought that to play and then you edited it as needed. You created and generated and revamped it the way it needed to be to fit your kids' needs. Wow. Wow. I think that you've you're you're really showing us uh the growth in your mindset over the past year. How did you get to that place of I see my experience as a kindergarten teacher and I and now I see it as corporate value? How how, how did, what was that what was that journey like uh, uh from kindergarten teacher to changing your mindset to I have transferable skills? Yeah, so actually I guess mine started before I started teaching. So before I did that, I was a store manager in retail. And so I had a lot of these skills that came with me, like recruiting and management style and things like that. I had a lot of managerial experience and I had that going into teaching. So I was able to realize what I had and utilize it successfully because I had to make those transferable skills apparent when I was trying to switch into teaching for the first time. Right. That wasn't something that was, no one just looks at it and says, oh, this person uh, managed a Barnes and Noble must be a fantastic kindergarten teacher. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So I think that um, in any of those times that you've been on interviews for your team or your panel, you technically were involved in recruiting. That's that, that's fair. Not enough people see that. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I've seen that in multiple cases, and I, I think that that's really big and something that people really need to understand. The small things that you do in your current work mm -hmm. actually mean something somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. I mean, even um, orchestrating field trips for your your kids and things like that. That's project management. You're seeing it through from beginning to end. You're thinking about all the ins and outs, the permits you have to have, the transportation that goes along with it, the amount of money that it would take to tell all of your kids that what they have to bring. It's yeah. project management. It absolutely is. I agree with you completely. And so we, we, we kind of went through time management and, and kind of analyze that transferable skill and how we can kind of look at that a little bit differently. Uh, what's another skill that we can kind of analyze and, and dive into a little bit? I would say managerial experience, um, regardless of what age you're teaching, you're still managing a classroom. You're teaching processes and procedures. You're showing them how to successfully do something. That's no different than being in an office space and telling somebody what time they have to be at work and then holding them to that standard. Right. So um, that's like, you might not think that because I had five-year-olds in a room that I was managing them, but right. without management, there is chaos. And without a teacher in that room, there would be chaos. That totally makes sense to me. And obviously I agree with you. And so I want to focus on this time in from January to March, and this is 2020. Is that right? 2021. 2021. Holy crap. That was this year. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> It feels so long ago. No, uh, I was still teaching in January until January 2021. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I need to like 11, get more what, coffee. 11 months ago? Oh my God, it's November. Yeah, <laughs> 11 months ago. Well, we're almost to a year anniversary, so congratulations on that. Um, 
so I want to focus on this time between January and March of 2021, apparently. Um, what is that time like when you're just in that application slog? Uh, I'd love to hear about that experience uh, of this like two two to three months of mm -hmm. job search. What What is that like? It is brutal. That's the best word I can think of. It is full of rejections, maybe not even rejections. Somebody's not even taking the time to let you know that you're not chosen, just not moving forward with you. It can be really demoralizing and it can really beat you down. Um, the best the best advice that I can give is don't settle for what you're worth less than what you're worth and then be patient. Yeah. Um, it is going to be exhausting. <laughs> it is going to be absolutely exhausting. And I don't want anyone to have a, uh, an idea in mind about me and that I just applied to one job and immediately got it. That's not at all what occurred in that time. I did take some time before I started applying because I didn't know what I wanted to apply for. Sure. So I probably didn't start applying for anything until maybe early to mid February, right before we had that great freeze that everybody loved so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I probably started applying in February, I would say, and it was terrible. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was trying really hard to figure it out. Um, I still hadn't reflected the way I needed to. And then I found this position as a um, HR specialist with a focus in recruiting. And I thought, you know, I can do that. I was recruiting for 10 years. That's what I did when I was in the store manager. That's what I did all the times that I was a manager inside of the different um, retail establishments that I worked at. That's what I did when I helped hire members of my team when I was teaching. Right. That's, um, that's a skill that I have and that's something that I can do. And when I got in there, I... I don't know. I hate to say that I excelled because it doesn't, that's like very pat on the backy. That's fine. That. Um, that but, horn. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously um, someone thought I was doing well enough to promote me to an HR manager at some point. So um, that's where I started. I started lower and I worked my way up. I don't be afraid of that. It's not something that is a reflection on you, just a reflection on the experience that you have and how you can prove that you're worth more. It, if it gives you an in, take it. If there's a company you really want to be at that is giving you a lower level position you think you're too good for, take it, show them you're too good for it. Get in there, use it as an opportunity, foot in the door, show them you're too good for it, and they will reward you in kind. That's a that's a really good uh, a really good take. Huh, that's interesting. Because <laughs> I think that especially especially teachers that have been in the game for a really long time, uh, you know, they are they're like full fledged professionals like they're it's not like they're fresh out of school they're actually mm -hmm. like 20 years in like and so I think that that's hard for people to say I'm I'm, I'm tw 20 years in mm -hmm. and so I'm not going to take a low-level position and so I, I think that that's a definitely a good mindset shift that we need to to discuss because sometimes you that's just what you got to do to get where you want to be yeah <laughs> I mean I knew so I switched my her uh, principal certification master's program over to an HR master's program. And in doing that, I knew it because I wanted to be in HR. And that's why my focus was eventually to be an HR manager. I did not expect to be one this soon. Um, I, it is a lot, um, but my end goal was the same. And in following something that was a lower level paying job that maybe some people would have not taken now I'm achieving my goal and achieving my dream way sooner because I worked really hard and I showed them that I deserved it in a matter of what, nine months. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so you accomplish your goal too soon, and so what a lot of people do is like, oh, I don't need a goal anymore. So what what is how has your goal shifted now that you've achieved it too quickly? Which is a great um, problem no. to have. <laughs> yeah. So now my goal is to be better. Um, I think that everybody can grow and be better, and that's what mine is going to be. Right now, I am an HR manager, but that doesn't mean that I know everything. In fact, my knowledge is growing more every day, and I have to embrace that and roll with it. Um, I'm going to, when I finish my master's in May, I'm going to take the certification programs that we have for HR professionals and see what we can do from there. Um, it's don't shy away from it just because it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And so I want to jump back to something that you said earlier. You, you mentioned that in, in February, you, um, you weren't reflecting appropriately. And so I want to ask what is reflecting appropriately and how should we approach it in a way that it, that actually makes sense and gets us to the reflection that we need quickly. So, so what did you do wrong and what did you do right in terms of reflection? Wrong. What I did wrong. I can tell you that right off the bat. Um, I didn't really reflect. (laughs) It it wasn't there. No, my reflection was, you know what, maybe it was just the school I was teaching in. And I bet if I found a different school, everything would be hunky dory. Hmm. Mm -mm. That's not reflection. That's just you trying to shy away from changing. Change is scary. It really is. But if you don't do it, then you get stuck. So my reflection wrongs (laughs) were that I didn't reflect at all. And that I tried to stay in teaching, knowing what it was doing to me because of the state of it right now. So that's a wrong, um, a right would be thinking about the root of what you want to do. So I said earlier, my root was helping people, right? That means that I had to look past why I like teaching so much. I had to really dive into what drew me to teaching. Why did I want to be a principal? What did, what did I gain from it? What was the thing that kept bringing me back to it? Even though I knew the experience that I had. So what that was, was my drive for helping people succeed. That's what I did. So I had to find something after I reflected and I finally got down to that root cause. I was able to say, great, now I know I want to help people. What profession can I get into where I'm able to do that? That's not teaching. Right. And as we talked about earlier, I cannot be any kind of medical professional, an EMT, a <laughs> nurse. It's not happening. I can't do it. I appreciate everybody that can. It's not in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, but HR was. Yeah. That that so, totally makes sense. That mm-hmm. totally makes sense. And you mentioned just a second ago almost that you were clouded by one of your goals, which is really interesting that a goal of yours was misdirecting you to what you needed to do, right? Your mm-hmm. goal of being a principal was misdirecting you into where you should have been. And so that I think that's really interesting. How do we know when a goal is misdirecting us, what what are some of the signs that you saw that that being a principal was not the right goal for you? So what I did was I realized that I loved teaching, but I didn't like the state of it right now. Yeah. And I thought that being a principal would somehow change that. My <laughs> thought process was, I guess if I learn more, I can do better. Sure. And that's true in some cases, but it can't save something. Yeah. It can't save something that's floundering. So me getting a principal certification and graduating with that would have just further tailored me to teaching and not Hmm. giving me a way out. So I had to think about it. Why am I doing this? And if the answer is 
So I have growth opportunities. That's not always great in teaching. Right. Um, I was only doing it so that way I could get out of the classroom. Hmm. So that's not a good reason. Sure. Um, it is, I wanted to help people. Sure. But I also wanted, I was tired of being in the classroom and I thought somehow that being a principal would get me out of the classroom. That's for sure. But, and I still get to help people, but is it really the career that I need to be on? And I still have to do a few more years in the classroom to get there. Is right. it worth it? Can I do it? So you have to really dive into your motivations behind things. And that's really hard because people don't like to do that. And I am guilty of that as well. Um, that is why I signed up for the class and finished a whole semester with it. Like, so um, it's definitely hard. It's not an easy process. No part of this is going to be easy or even preferable. You would like to do so many other things. Um, but if you don't do it, you risk being stuck. Sure. I, I think that totally makes a whole lot of sense. And you've talked a few uh, a few times where you've boiled your passion down to mm -hmm. just helping people. And I think that we, we can't downgrade that because that's that's really big, right? You you, you boiled it down to the simplest form mm -hmm. and you transferred it somewhere else. And so how did you and I go I think this goes back to our reflection portion of our conversation, but how do you how did you boil it down to the simplest form and, and then start taking action on that? Sure. You ask yourself why a lot. Imagine um, your favorite niece or nephew that won't stop asking you why about something. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you like teaching? Okay. You like it because of the kids. Why do you like being with the kids? What does that make you do? Well, it makes me better because I get to help make them better. Right. Okay. So I'm helping make them better. Wonderful. So what does better mean? Oh, well, it means helping them figure out ways to cope and to have more social emotional learning. Like it means helping them grow in their knowledge of right. the world and everything around them. And when you start asking yourself why enough, like I did, you eventually get to the bare minimum, which is what you're trying to do. You're trying to help people. So I'm trying to help my kids learn. I'm trying to help my kids have better emotional balance. I'm trying to have them understand each other's emotions and have just emotional intelligence in general, teach them how to share, teach them how to be in school. I'm trying to make sure that they're able to verbalize if they're unhappy with something as opposed to hitting. So when you get down to it and you ask yourself why enough, you get to the bottom by just repeatedly, like repeatedly asking yourself why. Yeah. I love that. That's a great strategy, right? Just keep asking yourself why. I love the question why. Um, that's really good. And so I I'm going to utilize your HR expertise for a little bit. So being someone who's in HR, mm -hmm. right? Where do people go wrong when they're trying to change industries? We we talked about over, like underselling your skills, mm -hmm. um, but I'm interested. Are, can we talk about that a little bit more, yeah. or is there other things that people make a mistake on when they are trying to trying to switch industries? I honestly feel that I would say 85, 90 percent of it is underselling yourself. Mm. Um, when I see, I've had teachers apply four positions that I think that they could be great for, but their resume wouldn't get past our hiring process. And mm. like, it takes everything I have not to call them and just say, Hey, can you fix this please? Because I know you can do this, but your resume doesn't say that you can do this. Right. So they're using tailor your resumes. I know it's a hard strenuous process, but once you do it once you can save different versions of it. So when I was applying, I had 
before I realized I wanted to be in HR, I had a, um, I had an HR resume. I had a teaching resume. I had a, um, nanny resume. Cause I was just like, I'll be a stay at home nanny. Um, I had, what else did I have? I had a retail resume. I had a resume for just about everything that I was trying to apply for because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. So tailor your resumes. If you are attempting to be a project manager, your resume should reflect that. Your resume should focus on project management. It should focus on all the times you've utilized it. And it doesn't matter if it wasn't a job, if it was a volunteer opportunity, put it on there. We don't know you because we won't call you unless your resume gets our attention. Make it get our attention. Right. You you just mentioned something that I think is really interesting. It's how do we approach uh, professional experience, work experience, right? And then also extracurricular experience and volunteer experience. Uh, do those things hold different weight? Does it depend on what we're doing in, in each role? I'm interested in in the difference between work experience and, and volunteer or extracurricular experience. So the weird thing about the hiring process is that it's very, it's tailored to the person reviewing it. So I can't speak for everyone, but I can say that I hold no difference between those experiences because whether you did it on a volunteer basis or whether you did it for pay makes no difference to me. The skills Mm. are still there. Right. Um, It's very hard to teach skills. You can teach a hard skill. You can show somebody how to work in a warehouse and things like that, but there are soft skills that are present that are very difficult to teach. So regardless of whether you did that for free or you did it for money means no difference. Like that means nothing to me. Yeah, that makes (laughs) sense to me. um, So I would say that for me personally, it doesn't matter. And I would say that if you are still early in your professional career, if you don't have a lot of work opportunities, your volunteer opportunities should be on there. It makes your resume stand out. It gives it more than just, I can't tell you how many people I've had apply for our warehouse position we have open right now that just say, I've been a warehouse assistant for two years. I pack boxes and that's their whole resume. And no, <laughs> yeah, like, no, I, I want to tell them like, no, you can do so much more than that. Think about everything you've done in your warehouse time. Give me everything you have. Tell me everything. Even if it feels so inconsequential to you, it means something. Right. Help me help you by giving me something more to work with. Hmm. Hmm. So, so people are underselling themselves, mm-hmm. right? And that's a big, that's a big no, no in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, in, in this job search, what else are people doing wrong when they're trying to switch industries? They're not explaining what they do well. <laughs> so if you have a very, there are a lot of people who are changing titles to make them a little bit more fun. Like our, uh, HR manager position might be called a people manager soon, which is fun. But a people manager at my company could be very different from a people manager at another company. Hmm. So if you don't give me an idea of what that position is, I'm not really sure if I can help. I don't know what a, um, like, I don't know, that's a bad example. But if you tell me you're a logistics specialist, logistics for what? Logistics for a warehouse? Logistics for uh, sales, logis- like logistics for what, if you don't tell me, I don't know where best to help you. I don't know where to put you. Cause if I put you in the warehouse, and you've never done it before. You're not really going to succeed. Right. So you have to tell me what those positions are. Tell me what they do. Um, and that's not really underselling themselves. It's just not spending enough time on their resume to tell me what that job is. Right. Right. 
And so people are making these these pretty mm -hmm. huge mistakes. Uh, specifically, yeah. what we were talking about is, is huge mistakes on their resume. Mm -hmm. How should they approach getting this help? Should they just go online and spend a few hours online and look at good examples? Uh, how do you even find a good example? Or should they look for somebody to look over their resume? How, mm -hmm. how should the people get help on this job search that they're on? I feel like knowing someone is always a big help. Um, <laughs> not necessarily knowing somebody like me who's in the field, but just knowing someone who can look over it. Um, two, three, four sets of eyes, a lot better than just you. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter what experience they have because they'll still see something. And that's still better than what you brought to the table initially. Just any kind of feedback can help you grow. Um, if you're still in school, I would say a career center because they're really great about that. So um, <laughs> if um, just anyone that you know has a chance to look at it, let them look at it. Um, don't be afraid of the feedback. It, they're trying to help. Don't shut down and think that because you did so poorly on this that you don't want to ask anyone for help. That's just going to make it worse ask for help, get the help, let us help you. Yeah, you're gonna be wasting a lot of time. You get up to 100 applications and you haven't gotten anything. Well, you just wasted 100 applications by not seeking that help. Yes. And that so takes time. And you can do it before you get to that point. Do it before you send the 100 applications, please. <laughs> um, save yourself, please, please, please. I can't tell you how much I wanna reach out to everybody. If I didn't have to review so many resumes, resumes in a day, I would call these people and say, hey, I would love to help you fix this. I think it would be a really great opportunity for us to work together. I I just, I wanna help. And there's so many of them that I have to go through a day that I don't, I can't, I can't help everyone, but yeah. I can let them know that they can make it better. <laughs> Right, right. And so I, there's a lot of talk about, you know, HR algorithms and how they, they set you up for failure or whatever. How, how can we how can we kind of burst that bubble or or, or confirm some of those things or deny some of those things? Yeah. Well, how can how can we approach that? So every system is different. If you have a smaller company like mine, we don't run it through a software. We do it all by um, our own. Like mm. all of our HR team reviews resumes and we just read it ourselves and reject or send an interview request based on that alone. Mm -hmm. um, but there are places like the, any government job. So city of Austin, um, the state of Texas, if you want to do any of those, they do have a software they run it through. <sighs> it's all about action verbs. Mm. You make sure that you don't just say um, made curriculum. No. You created, developed, and implemented that curriculum. Take the job description and use some of the words, not all of it. <laughs> Please don't just copy and paste the whole thing into your resume. Yes. I'm going to advise against that strongly. But take the job description and utilize words and sentences they used in that. Put it in your resume if it's applicable. Hmm. Because by doing that, that gets you through that program. That is some big brain energy right there. I love that. I love that. Yeah, utilize the description. Uh, that's that's like the number one resource you have when it, when you're in a job search is is you know their website is a big one, but yeah. also the job description that you're literally applying for. <laughs> yeah. So what they do is they put the job description in when they use those softwares, and you don't know what the buzzwords are. None of us do, but they have buzzwords on there that you get through automatically by just using them. So if mm. there's something on that job description that you can do or you have done use it, put the words on there yeah. because there's something, and it could just be 
it's not going to be an action verb. What's it going to be? It's going to be something like inventory or um, curriculum or training, or it's going to be a word that's unrelated to the action verb, but it's going to be in there and you might get it just by paying attention to the job description, which is why I say, tailor your resume, please. <laughs> right. And yeah, and that takes a lot of work, but you, you've got to do it. You have to, you have to. I mean, small, you get a bigger reward. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I think that's really good. And so I, we talked about your story and, and I, I want to shift a little bit from your story because you were looking for a job without a job. And so now I want to shift to looking for a job with a job. Yeah. And so how should we, how should people approach looking for a job with a job because i think that that can get a little dicey <laughs> so what what are your thoughts on this um as someone who has done it before because when i was looking for a job teaching i still had a job sure. um so i can speak from that experience i can't speak for everybody's experience but for yeah. mine um it's carving out time to do it to do the work um back then i knew i wanted to be in teaching so what i did was i created a teaching resume and I blasted it to everybody who was in a reasonable driving distance. I did. <laughs> I sent it to everyone. I made sure that I put hours and hours and hours and hours into that resume, that everything was perfect and it looked wonderful. And I blasted it to anyone who could possibly say that they were a school. I did. It was, I sent it to everyone. That's a everyone. good model. <laughs> that's a good model. I was like, oh, this is only a 40 minute drive. Fine. Let's do it. Like, that's fine. Um, I, anyone that was in a reasonable distance, um, you have to make the time. You can give yourself all the excuses in the world and we all do it. I did it. You have to make the time. It's exhausting. Your job is exhausting. I'm so sure. But if you don't take the time to make the change, you're going to get stuck. You right. have to carve out that day, carve out that weekend, take a day off, do it on your day off. You have to make the time because regardless, you're going to keep being exhausted and you're never going to find the right time. You're going to keep saying, I will find the right time eventually, but then you never do because you never make the time to make the change. Yikes. Right. Yes. You, it, it all goes back to taking action, right? Mm -hmm. and, and if you're not willing to take action, that's it. You're not going to do it. it, it yeah. that's, the ro that's the first roadblock you have to get through is, am I willing to take action? If the answer is no, then you're done. That's yeah. it. I mean, it takes time. You can't, your resume is not going to write itself. Your resume is not going to revamp itself. Your resume is not going to turn itself into the perfect new position resume and it can't go apply for you. So you have to take the time. You have to do all of these things. You have to reflect, you have to find your passion. You have to fix your resume and you have to put it out there. And you can't do that without time. And people always say, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I don't have time at the end of the day. You're right. You are, but you're going to keep being exhausted until you make that change. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. That's really good. I, I'd like to also shift the conversation a little bit to how does like original networking and then also LinkedIn networking, how does all of this apply to our conversation here? Are those effective strategies? Are those obsolete in terms of, uh, of job search or, or people just plain doing it wrong? <laughs> I would say that for traditional networking strategies, they're still very much important. Right. Um, that's how you have a way to potentially get your resume in front of someone without making it through their software. If you had a chance of beating out the software somewhere, it is because you have a connection inside that company. Right. So utilize it. 
Um, I'm not saying you should go out of your way to attend every networking event in the area or anything like that. But if you have a network and if you have someone who works somewhere that you want to work, utilize your resources. Yes. I mean, that's the best thing you can do. It's not a, it's not a foolproof plan. It doesn't mean you're going to get the job, but it does mean that you're going to get an interview. And a lot of times an interview can make or break you. And you know, regardless of what your resume looks like, if you're in an interview, you're doing something right. So yeah. see it through, do your best, prepare for that interview the best way you can. Um, because I, I think traditional networking still has a really big place. I just think people don't need to go out the same way they used to and go to every networking event in the area every single weekend to try to build those, build those relationships. But I definitely think it's as a place. I don't think it's obsolete. Um, LinkedIn, the biggest problem that I see with LinkedIn is that people are not updating their profile regularly mm. and they're not doing it successfully. So sometimes you're just putting the bare minimum on there so you can just move on to the next thing. You're just barely making it so that way you have a LinkedIn. Right. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and when you review and edit your resume, review and edit your LinkedIn. Yeah. Do it, please. <laughs> so if you want it to, if you're saying I've reflected and I think project management is the way I want to go, or I want to be a accountant, go make sure that your LinkedIn looks like an accountant. Right. <laughs> it shouldn't look like you are teaching algebra to I don't know, like whatever grade you learn algebra and I can't even remember now. Eighth grade, 10th grade, ninth grade? Eighth and ninth, I think. <laughs> Eighth and ninth. We'll go with um, that. Something Somewhere in there. But um, it shouldn't look like you're an algebra teacher. It should look like you have this foundational knowledge of math. You can do all these mathematical skills. You know how to analyze data. You know how to collect data. You know how to put it in a spreadsheet. It should look like you are an accountant, even though the title of that position says that you were an algebra teacher. Boom. All right. Dang. I, I, I like that. I want to switch back to OG, uh, OG networking for a moment because I think people don't do it uh, because they're uncomfortable for asking for help. And I think that there's a, so I think that that's one reason. I think there's several other reasons. And so how do people break through that, that barrier of, I don't want to OG network because I, uh, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable with helping me. Oh, this is hard for me because I know it's difficult to ask for help. It is. It's just as difficult to reflect on the fact that you want to leave your career, make difficult choices. You have to, right. um, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Right. Skirt. Yep. So, um, it's uncomfortable to ask for help, but do it. Um, a lot of times if you have a good relationship now, I'm not saying don't call that person you knew 11 years ago that you haven't talked to in 11 years and say, Hey, I cyber stalked you and I found out you work at Dell and I want to work at Dell too. That's not, that's not networking. That's just stalking at that point. Um, that's not what I'm talking about here. If you have a friend who you've been, you know, on and off talking to that you talk to pretty regularly, that what happens to work at a position, maybe at Google, let's just say Google. And you're like, I would love to have a job at Google. Reach out, tell them, Hey, I'm trying to get out of whatever career path I'm on. I'd like to see if I can get this position specifically at Google. Do you know what they're looking for? Do you know if there's something that I can do to be more competitive? Is there something that they're looking for discreetly that would make me a good fit for this position? Do you feel like based on what I've done in the past, could I be a good fit for this position? You don't have to go and just say, can I have an interview, please? (laughs) You can ask for feedback 
and then let them roll into the idea of helping you get an interview. Please don't walk up to someone and just say, I'd like an interview at Google, please. No. (laughs) And I think that that's a really good model of just saying, hey, I'd love feedback on my resume and cover letter. Uh, You know, send over whatever whatever feedback you have. And more likely than not, they're going to see that effort and they're going to be like, I'm going to put I'm actually going to put your resume in front of one of my recruiting managers because uh, that it took a lot of courage for you to even send this email. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so I think that that's a winning model. Is that kind of what you're talking about or am I stretching? No, no, that's exactly right. Don't ask for the interview, ask for feedback, tell them what you'd like, tell them the position specifically that you're interested in, because if anything, they know the exact hiring manager that is in charge of that position. Right. And should they decide that you would be a good fit? And if your relationship is strong enough to where they're like, this person has a really great work ethic, this person really gets down and does what they need to do. They're great. They always excel in what they're doing. I'm going to go out of my way here and I'm going to go tell this person that I would like this person in for an interview. They, if they're really that invested into your growth in your career and they're that great of a friend and a network connection, they're going to do that. Right. And at the very least, you still get another set of eyes on your resume and you get insight into what that position is and how you can be a better fit for it. Yeah. I love that. I, I, I think that's really good advice. Uh, and so I want to shift to kind of today's job market. Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it weird? Uh, what is going on with today's job market? And what do we need to know about today's job market? Are there any different characteristics that are happening that we've never seen before? So I'm just kind of interested in your like a little pulse check and what you think the job market is looking like today in 2021. I would say... The job market, I'm waiting for you to finish taking a drink because you're about to spit it out. Um, So what we're calling it right now is we're calling it the great resignation. What a great, what an interesting name. (laughs) So the great resignation is essentially, we have hit a period of people, millennials, you know, everyone else that has decided that company loyalty doesn't mean what it used to. And they are no longer staying loyal to companies for an extended period of time. So we're seeing people get better job offers and then put in their resignation and leave more quickly. So we used to put this priority on tenure. How long did you stay at your last position and things like that? If we're going to stay with modern recruiting and we're going to keep up with the demand, we have to stop paying attention to that because right now I have never seen tenure this low. And it's not a reflection on the people so much as it is the opportunities that are available to them. So we're past the days of saying, oh, this person's only been at the job for six months. Let's not interview them. Why were they not at that job for more than six months? Was it a bad environment? Was it because they got a better opportunity at this other company? Was it because they didn't have a growth plan? Was it because the compensation was awful? Like, was it the benefits package? What was it? So we're past the point of just looking at someone and going, oh my gosh, I can't believe they were only there for six months. We have to look at it as that company didn't do that great. Could we do better? Wow. Wow. So your kind of take is putting it all on uh, or putting a lot of the responsibility on the companies of what are what are we doing to make sure people will stay for an extended period of time rather than putting it on the individual of uh, they need to stay for a long time? Yeah. So I think a lot of companies are getting more competitive with their benefits, with their sign on packages, with their work flexibility. A lot of them are doing a hybrid model now where like you're half in the office, half at home. Um, we're having to adapt to the times because if you don't adapt to it, you're getting left behind. 
And mm. people that are getting left behind are the ones that have 30 positions open right now that they can't fill. <laughs> right. Right. And so that that was a really good pulse check. And staying with that same subject, you mentioned earlier kind of the difference between small companies and large companies and how mm-hmm. they approach recruiting. And so in the same conversation of today's job market, how are how are smaller companies and larger companies responding differently to this great resignation that, that we're talking about here? Yeah. So um, obviously larger companies have more resources than smaller companies do. So what smaller companies tend to offer is they get as competitive as they can with their benefits package, but it's not going to be the same. Um, there are concessions that will have to be made, but that doesn't mean that they're not worth it. Um you have people who are attempting to have better cultures. My small company right now is focusing on having one of the best cultures I've seen in a small company. And they put in the time, the effort and the monetary necessities to be able to maintain that like company-wide events and things of that nature that just need to be done to create this culture that we need. Um, Again, small companies don't often have the same resources. Actually, never. I'm going to say never. I don't usually (laughs) like to use never, but small companies never have the same resources as Google, Dell, Emerson, anything like that. Um, They're just too big of a company and they have too much of a backing. But what you often see is a better culture in a private company or a smaller company. Wow. I I think that's a good assessment uh, overall. So. Thank you for that. That was really good. So you've got the job. You're in a new industry. You you've you've accomplished the short term goal. Now what? How do I adjust into this industry I've never been in before? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we've succeeded. We've got the job. How do we adjust to this new industry? Ask for help. Mm. <laughs> um, you have a team with you. There are very few chances of you not having anyone around you to support you. Chances are you're being hired into a team. Everyone would rather you ask a question than do it incorrectly. Mm. Every single person on that team would rather you say, Hey, this is my first time doing this before. Please. Can you give me some hints? Can you give me some feedback? Can you give me some tips? What can I do? Because I want to make sure that I'm doing this team right. And I'm doing this correctly. And I want to make sure that I'm not letting this team down. So what can I do to make sure that doesn't happen? And I can promise they're going to be way more receptive to that than you just doing it because you think you know how to do it and then having to do it again themselves. <laughs> and that's that's a great way to get in a bad work environment. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I think mean, that I makes say, a lot of sense. Yeah. Use your resources. Um, ask somebody. You have a team available to you. You will obviously probably have a mentor. Ask your mentor. You would go through orientation if you have any questions about maybe not what your job entails, but maybe um, some things that are just outside of that window, maybe how the company does certain things or the policies for something. Ask during orientation. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I would rather you ask me questions than, you know, have to come talk to you because I was like, Hey, you're supposed to be here by eight, but you came in at nine. Like what's up with that? Um, I would rather you ask me the question of when am I supposed to be here? How often do I need to be in the office? I would rather you ask me those questions when you need to know the answer than just acting and me having to come and have a conversation with you later. Right. Hmm. That's really good. That's really good. Anything else that we should know about of like, just, uh, how to, to adjust into that new industry. I would say be open to change. So you might think, you know, what it ne- what it entails. You might think, you know, exactly how to do that process. Be open to changing it. Um, you have to be flexible. You have to be adaptable. You have to be able to 
look outside of yourself and realize that maybe you don't know everything because you are new. Let somebody help you. Let the new process, you know, let just embrace the new process, figure out how you can make it better maybe, but don't just stick to your ways because you think you know how. Make sure that you're acting as part of the team and you're acting as part of the company and you are assimilating. Hmm. So good. So good. Uh, Well, I I think that the listeners have learned a lot. So we've got to get into the closing questions of the show, which is the first one is what's that final piece of advice for someone that is in the process uh, of not only switching careers, but switching industries? What's that final piece of advice? Don't don't be scared. (laughs) Don't shy away from it because it's challenging. The things with the biggest challenges offer the greatest rewards. Hmm. Nice. I like that. Short and sweet. Uh, let's see. The The next question is, as a, as a young adult, you're a young adult, whether you like it or not, uh, what is something that you're still trying to figure out? I am still trying to figure out. Oh, man, that's a good one. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> I am still trying to figure out how I can best be a support to my team. And how I can help them grow when I'm when I still have so much growth to do myself. Wow, that's something that I'm currently working on. Yeah. I like that. That's a great answer. Okay, so if I want to learn more about Madison, or if I need Madison's help in my job search, where can I find you? Are you on social media, or can I find you somewhere else? Yeah, no, I am on social media. I don't have. Um, actually, yeah, no, I have everything. So find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram. Not really on Twitter. I mean, I'm on Twitter. If you can find me, good luck to the sluice <laughs> out there. Um, I'm not really on it very much, but I appreciate your efforts in finding me. Um, or you can email me at madisonwilliams27 at gmail.com. Wow. All right. Well, there we go. We've got all the closing questions of the show. I'm going to add a question yeah. because I think this is really interesting. With job descriptions and mm-hmm. and looking at our own skills, right? How do we know if we are applying for the right level of position when we're looking at our skills, when we're looking at our experience, when we're looking at all of these these different things? How do we know we're applying for the right level of position? That's a really good question. Um, so what I will say is that a lot of job descriptions say you have to have three to five years of experience. They are always willing to make exceptions to that. You just have to prove that you're worth the exception. Mm. And that comes from having that solid resume. So I would say don't shy away from something because you feel like you're unqualified for it. Try because the best recruiters and HR team will see that maybe you're not qualified for that, you know, intermediate level, but maybe you're good for the entry level and they'll call you and tell you that and see if you'd like to try for the entry level with the potential of moving up in the next couple of months. Those are the best HR teams. So I wouldn't shy away from something because you feel you're not qualified for it. I would say go for it. Because at the bare minimum, you're going to fall among the stars, right? There we go. There we go. We got a bonus question in the show. That's the first time this happened because it popped into my brain. So go and follow Madison wherever you can find her. And also follow this podcast at How to Adult TW on Instagram and Facebook. Good luck in your job search. And remember, y'all, we are going to learn how to adult together. <laughs>